It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, Hi, welcome to the Dick Morris Show. This is Dick Morris with Doug DePiro. Hello, Dick Morris. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Good, good. Sponsored good. by the Patriot Gold Group. Um, Merry Christmas, Merry everyone. Merry Christmas, everyone. Buon Natale. Amazing Grace was written by John Newton uh, in about 1807, who was uh, one of the leaders of the anti-slavery crusade. He was a captain of a slave ship. Mm. And uh, and was and just saw the horror of the slave trade and became a Christian and campaigned against it. His key ally in that fight was a guy named William Wilberforce. And um, if you, you were listening to the Janine Pirro show right before this, uh, the the he had a guest Eric Metaxas. Oh, he was great. Who wrote a book on Wilberforce? I want to talk a little bit about Wilberforce because he really provides us with a guide to how to be spiritual in our current era. Um, Wilberforce, uh, first biographically, led the effort against the slave trade, and prohibiting that was the beginning of worldwide abolition uh, in Britain, mm. and mm. it moved over into the rest of the world. He uh, campaigned for curbs, if not an end to capital punishment, to beatings in school, Schools. He uh, set up the SPCA, the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, oh, I uh, like globally. Uh, he stopped cockfighting. He uh, he outlawed dueling, and he basically said the important thing as a Christian was to bring was to make gentle the ways of the world, hmm. and to nice. take the various things that we had in our world that were violent and horrible and evil and gross, and change them. And uh, make the, and use the political process to do that. He was a member of Parliament. He was a close ally of William Pitt, the Prime Minister, and used his political abilities and his popularity to advance these causes. Um, Wilberforce, uh, Metaxas wrote a book about him that was, I think, very good. Was that the book he saw you reading on the plane? Was that yeah. The, yeah, that's uh-huh. how I met. That's uh, how you met him, right? Yeah, I was reading his book on Wilberforce, and he was sitting next to me. And uh, he said, you know, I'm Eric Metaxas. I wrote this book. <laughs> Great. And, uh, and then he moved over and we talked for three hours and it was so influential. He's such me. a nice guy. He's, got, he's so brilliant and he's got such a funny way about him. And he's just a nice person, you know, great human being. And he introduced me to a theory of theology that maybe I can share with you today. He said that the way you can tell God's will is not by figuring it out, but by watching what's happening around you. Wow. And come to conclusions based on the evidence that you see from events that are going on. Um, He said, don't do it inductively, where you think you know and you formulate a hypothesis and 
to see if it's true or not. Do it what he called inductively, which means you take events with no particular prejudice in your mind and you look at them and you try to figure out what God's will must have been when you see these events. Wait, inductive and deductive? Yeah, inductive is founded by Francis Bacon, the British philosopher. Right. And it says, create, look at the pattern of things around you and see if the pattern suggests something. And uh, deductive is René Descartes, the uh, French philosopher, who said, first come up with a hypothesis and then see if it's true or not. Got it. And Wilberforce said induction is the way to do it. Now, if you listen to Jeanine's show uh, about half an hour ago, Mm -hmm. she was talking with him and she said, why is the world so woke? Why does Christianity and values seem, Judaism seem to be opposed? And he said, well, as I look at it, I believe that this is something God is putting us through because he wants us to understand how far away from woke real faith is. And he wants us to understand the differences between that by showing us how terrible things can be without faith. Like looking at the evil that's out there, yeah, basically. That's God right. is let, letting us see it. I don't think he's doing it. He's letting us see the evil without stopping it. That's right. So we would stop it. We have free will. Right. The devil misleads us. Right. And then we see the consequences and we change. Wow. Uh, it's a little bit. And I think that uh, that the reaction against Biden's woke agenda is a big part of that. Right. We had free will. We voted in, or we think we did, voted in Joe Biden. He brought with him a range of policies that were woke and terrible and stupid and sure. counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing the impact of that, and we're really learning from it. It's how God basically teaches us a lesson. And if you're a good Christian or just a good person, so you got to look at it and have the argument and talk to people and just you know talk to them about this evil. Yeah, and basically, you can't just let it happen. You can't sit back, right, and be complacent. And and I think that the uh, that that the extremities of the woke agenda really help us appreciate the norms of democracy. Uh, we, uh, we understand when we see courts throwing people off the ballot and right. making it illegal to vote for them. Right. Uh, we come to understand the importance of the democratic process and procedures in a way that we wouldn't otherwise. So I just wanted to give that as my little Christmas sermon because uh, I think that it's, it's very important for us. Uh, I came to faith very late in my life. I'm 76 now. I was baptized at the age of 50. That's great. I grew up in a, an atheist Jewish household, and I retained the Jewish values, but uh, I became Christian. And, um, and I, but I have to tell you. A Roman Catholic, right? That's, yeah. Uh-huh. Anytime I see someone who's like in Hasidic garb or obviously Jewish, mm-hmm. I turn to him and say, keep the faith, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, uh, it's so it's so important. Given Jews are great people. Jews are going too. through right now. They're, they're good people. The, um, the Jews, really. So, uh, so back to politics. Well, one thing, one thing. Yeah. I want to tell you, talking about the the holidays. I'm offended when somebody says Happy Holidays. You know how everyone's offended. You say Merry Christmas, yeah. Happy Hanukkah. So I said to someone today, I was shopping. Happy holiday. They said happy holidays. I'm offended. I don't, you know, I, I'm getting on their side. Listen, you like to be offended by everything. Yeah. I'm offended by happy holidays. Okay. You know, it really drives me crazy. Xmas. Yes, right. Yeah. Xmas. What does that mean? Absolutely. Xing out Christ. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Okay. Speaking of Xing out, (laughs) Donald Trump has been knocked off the ballot in Colorado. Uh, Jerry, L- I can't think of who that is. I think it's Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah, I think so. Because <laughs> uh-huh. of the woo, okay. the woo at the end. No, Little Richard. And oh, as, oh, as Richard, I'm protective of that brand. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah, okay. Now, let me just explain what the court said, and then you can see how flawed their wisdom is. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, um, the, the, amend- the court said... The First Amendment does not protect speech that incites lawful action, un- lawless action, whether the speech in question explicitly or implicitly encourages violence uh, or lawless action, whether the speaker intended the speech to cause that, whether the imminent use of violence or lawless action was the likely result of the speech. And they are saying that Trump's speeches, the tenor of Trump's messages to his supporters, in exhorting, in exhorting them to travel to Washington on January 6th was obvious and unmistakable. The allegedly rigged election was an act of war, and those victimized by it had an obligation to fight back and to fight aggressively, the Colorado Supreme Court has said. Mm-hmm. And President Trump's supporters did not miss or misunderstand the message. The cavalry was coming to fight. The justices said they had little difficulty in concluding that the January 6th Capital attack justifies as it qualifies as an insurrection. Before the election even be, was decided, they said Trump had been laying the groundwork to claim the election was stolen. After the election, his public statements and social media posts boosted baseless claims of election fraud, fraud riling up his base. And on December 19th, he urged his supporters in post to descend on the nation's capital on January 6th through a wild protest a post that served as a call to arms for extremist groups. Mm. On the day itself, Trump himself directed the supporters to go toward the Capitol. Uh, we, conclude, we conclude that the foregoing evidence... The this great, is the court. This the is court, the court. Got it. The okay. great bulk of which was undisputed at trial established that President Trump engaged in insurrection. Mm. Now, that is total and complete horse manure. Um, Trump said explicitly to his people, demonstrate prayerfully and peacefully and then go home. Right. That is not an incitement to riot. So what, what's gone on here, basically, is that the Democratic Party used COVID to steal the election. And they did that by encouraging, in some cases almost requiring, written ba- write-in ballots. Right. Even though a commission headed by former President Jimmy Carter, a Democrat, said that mail-in voting allowed fraud and tended to encourage it. Pelosi said that we have, we have to vote online uh, and mail-in because if we go in person, we're risking our lives. Oh, yeah. And she said people don't, shouldn't have to choose between their health and their franchise. Yeah. And with that it's in mind, scare tactic. 85 million people voted by mail. Mm-hmm. And there was no adequate verification process to see if they should be allowed to vote. And when the election was given to Biden, with some obvious shenanigans, uh, at the very least, uh, the the Republicans went to court and asked the court for relief. 
It's something you do in a lawful society. Sure. And uh, when they went to to ask for relief, the Democrats said, "Oh, we don't have jurisdiction over that. We're the we're the uh, appellate court. We're not the trial court." And the trial courts in these states, completely controlled by Democrats, said, "We're not going to appoint a special master to examine this. The examination is done by the Board of Elections, and we're not going to second guess them." So there was never an adjudication as to the rightful results mm-hmm. of the 2020 election. And that led to people being frustrated at boiling over, and Trump called on them to demonstrate peacefully. Sure. This was not an insurrection because nobody was armed. Ask the French revolutionaries, ask the American revolutionaries, ask the this communists, can you have a revolution without a gun? <laughs> um, Mao said revolution comes from the barrel of a gun. Right. And here there were no guns. There was no weapons. There were no weapons at all. And... The idea that this is an insurrection is so incredibly outrageous, such an unbelievable reach, that it is horrific that they are banning Trump from the ballot. And now the Democrats have the gall to come in and say that Donald Trump would be a dictator. He would be – they have an add-on likening him to Pinochet and um, and Maduro and Chavez and right. saying he's going right. to end democracy. And while they're saying that, they have their court – knocking one of the candidates off the ballot and saying, no matter right, what, who exactly. you want for president, you can't vote for Donald Trump. He won't appear on the ballot. And uh, if there's anything that more typifies the lack of a democracy, that's it. Now, yeah. I believe, and, of course... And they don't want you to speak and, and knock down statues, that sort of... And, sure. and, and Portland was okay, too, when they were yeah. rioting, but they said that's okay. I, I think that... But I think it's obvious when you look at this that... This is actually helping Trump. I told him two days ago when we spoke by phone, I said, you know, you were a great president and you were waging a great campaign. But what is propelling you to these wild, wide margins that you have is not your campaign. It's the stuff being done against you. That proves, number one, you're real. It proves that you're not uh, just putting this on. You really are an anti-establishment candidate. And the fact that they're persecuting you validates your virtue and validates that you really are what you say you are. And that the fact that persecution is, is unprecedented verifies the fact that you are unique. So this is the motive power that is propelling you to these gigantic margins of victory. And I think that the courts are going to overthrow this. I think that the Supreme Court will rule against this, taking him off the ballot, Maybe six to three, maybe nine to nothing. I don't know, but at least six to three. Wow. And Trump will appear on the ballot and he will win the election. So go back to what we said at the start of this segment. God sends us bad things that we choose mm. of our own free will to demonstrate to us how bad stuff can get so that we change our conduct, so that we reform it. You know, people who challenge religion and God often say to me, how do you explain the Holocaust? And I said the Holocaust, God obviously did not intend the Holocaust. He didn't cause it. But obviously he let it happen. And he had seen so much racism and so much uh, bigotry on religious, racial, and national grounds that the only way to expunge it was to let give control of the country, let them go after a race, in this case the chosen people, the Jewish race. And have people see how bad it was. 
Now, it's no accident that after the Holocaust, within a few years, colonialism ended, anti-Semitism became unfashionable until it's come back now. Around the world. School integration happened, uh, apartheid crashed in South Africa, and the world fundamentally changed against racism because we saw its consequences. Now we're seeing it come back, and we need to react to it. But I think that we have to understand that that God manifests his will by letting us have free will and then acquainting us with the consequences of our will, not of his. Right. So it'll be interesting. It's it's kind of like hitting rock bottom before you can fix yourself, you know, whether it's drinking or an addiction. Sure. That's true. Wow. But with the left, rock bottom comes to us. (laughs) We don't have to go to it. (laughs) I know. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, you're a piece of work, boy. So when we come Merry back, Christmas. we'll talk Merry Christmas. We'll talk about how Biden is in free fall. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the Hey, Dick, every, every comeback, I want to say Merry Christmas today. Yeah. And to all the little kids out there, Angelo D'Amelio, all the little children out there. God bless Merry Christmas. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. Um, there are four pillars that hold up the Democratic Party. Blacks, Latinos, single white women, and young voters. Gen X's, people under 30 or people under 25. Uh, blacks are already turning against Biden. Uh, he still carries them, but but Trump is getting over 20% of the black vote. Last time he got 12%. Hispanics are now voting for Trump in large numbers. In fact, the latest polls have him at 40% of the Latino vote. Uh, he got 26% in the last election. Uh, and young people are moving against Biden dramatically. Uh, in the latest Fox News poll, Trump Trump led Biden. Trump was head of Biden by a 13-point margin in voters under 30, 41 to 28. And that's a group that basically voted for Biden by two to one in the last election. It's a massive, massive change. And those changes are underscoring the shifts that are happening nationally in the polling. And it is just unbelievable that that shift is taking place. And the, the growth of Trump's support in the national head-to-head uh, mirrors that and, uh, and reflects that. And it's important that we understand the underlying transitions that are behind that. Um, and because the young people are defecting from Trump, defecting from Biden and switching to Trump, we appreciate this song. Now, while that's happening, Dick, are you are you saying that are you thinking? I, I think I know the answer to this. It's the economy; these young kids can't, yeah, you know, get, walk, get out of their mother's house. Yeah, and, they have no shock absorbers. Uh, right, right, the economy is taking a, a strange, a 
toll on them. Right. But it's not on anybody else. For them, it's just not a question if you can't buy something or you pay a little more for something. They can't move out of their mother's house. Right. They can't get married. They can't have kids. Uh, it's a, they, they can't start their careers. It's a fundamental thing. And it resonates with them far more deeply than it does with people that have, that are protected either by their past or by their savings or by uh, their careers or something like that. You know, uh, Dick, not to interrupt you, but, but I am. Um, this goes to what Eric said, and I think I brought this up last week, definitely with you, I think, on the show, is that one of the best things happened, I, I told you a while back, that AOC was uh, elected and she brought socialism to the top, and Biden being elected... All the young kids that love, you know, all they're all, you know, uh, the useful idiots that love the Democratic Party. The best thing that happened is him because they're all saying, what is this about? I can't deal with this. You know, it's exactly. hitting rock bottom again. Exactly. They're, they're, precisely. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. So um, we're forever young for the young voters. And then for the Biden support, we have. <laughs> President Biden's approval rating has dropped to an all-time low of 34%, almost too low for zero, according to Monmouth University poll released Monday. Voters giving a brutal assessment of how he's handled immigration and inflation and found that nearly double the number of voters, 61%, Mm. disapprove of Biden's job performance compared to 34% that approve. That's all voters. All voters. The lowest approval rating uh, since Biden took office in January 21. And among independents, Biden's approval stands at not 34, but 24, a decline from 30% in September and 38% in July. Independents, Independence, uh-huh. yeah. Wow. And among women, Trump is leading Biden among women, leading him among women, 41 to 34, um, which was he lost them sig- significantly last time. Right. So now, while this is going on, as incredible as it may seem, uh, there is a bit of a focus on Nikki Haley, uh, who is running for president against Trump, Mm -hmm. particularly in the New Hampshire primary. She's been focusing on New Hampshire her entire campaign, and, uh, and there are indications that she has closed some of the margin with Trump. Not all of it. Trump is still well ahead. It concerns me. So I want to spend a moment on Nikki Haley. First of all, she wants to cut Social Security. She wants to cut Social Security. She has proposed raising the retirement age from 65. She says it's way too low. And rejiggering the cost of living adjustment that you get every year so that it does not reflect prices but reflects incomes, which means that the cost of living adjustment would be one or two points lower each year. How do they do that? How is that Well, done? you can base the cost of living adjustment on how much things cost or how much income people are making. Mm. And by basing it on income, you come up with a lower figure than basing it on prices. Huh. So she wants to divorce cost of living adjustment from measuring the cost of living. Got it. 
and she wants to raise the retirement age, and that is enormous because it simply is increasingly impossible for people over the age of 65 to find good work. And uh, raising the retirement age is terrible. It's something that is exactly wrong. And then, as South Carolina, Mrs. Haley bear-hugged, this is quoting Peter Navarro, Mm -hmm. bear-hugged China as she littered her state with non-union, low-wage, foreign auto assembly jobs. North South Carolina became the center for foreign auto assembly. In other words, you make the parts in other countries, you send them to the United States, and in the U.S. it's put together as a car. Mm-hmm. In 2015, she led the charge to bring Chinese-owned Volvo to build the automaker's first assembly plant in the U.S., even lavishing $200 million in taxpayer subsidies on China to bring them here. Oh, that's nice. And since then... Huge amounts of the auto assembly industry are now anchored in South Carolina, which is good for their economy, but terrible for the rest of the country. And her willingness to bring Chinese power and Chinese money uh, really reflects very dangerously on what she might do as president, because China is our major adversary. And with her having the interest in doing that is terrible. Not the, interest, not the interest in the country, in her one state, and that's it. Well, yeah, or that's in campaign contributions from auto assembly part mm. dealers. Mm. And bear in mind that whenever you see a kind of groundswell going on in the media, it's based on the fact that they hate Donald Trump. Right. And they want to coalesce all the anti-Trump vote behind one candidate. Originally it was DeSantis, but then he proved to be a non-starter. Yeah. Now it's... Then it was Vivek Ramas- Ramaswamy, whatever his name is. Yeah. Now it's no longer him. Now it's Nikki Haley. And she's what they used to call the Great White Hope. And uh, it's and it's just a, a place where anti-Trump people uh, go to shelter. Let's go to Sandra in New Jersey. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Sandra. Merry Christmas. Um, Merry Christmas. I, wa- I-, I learned from Professor Dick Morris that another good thing was happening. <laughs> That's how I see you, Dick. You're my professor. I learned so much from you. I, you. I'm happy to hear that 40% of the Jewish people now want to vote for Donald Trump. To me, wow. I should have woke up a long time ago, but this is very good news. And the reason I think you said this is happening is because they're starting to see, because of what happened in Israel, the Hamas people, they remind them of the people who did that bad thing on 9-11. So they're afraid and they're frightened and they want a really strong leader who is going to protect them. So am I wrong on no, what I'm you're, saying? You're, you're completely right. Uh, previously, po- political divisions among Jews were along religious lines, Reformed Jews going one way, conservative and Orthodox and Hasidim going the other. Mm-hmm. But now it's bleeding across those lines, and uh, and I think there is a consensus emerging that the left and the Democratic Party is at least tacitly, if not overtly, encouraging anti-Semitism. And uh, the fault line that's emerging among Jews is, are you anti-Semitic or not? Are you an anti-Semitic Jew or not? It's almost impossible, and I say this as someone from Jewish parents, it's almost impossible to be a leftist and not be an anti-Semite. It's woven so deeply into their fabric. Wow. Let's go to Robert in Suffolk. Thank you, Thank Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Hi, Robert. Hi, Dick. 
Thank you, Dick. Uh, Merry Christmas first. The appeal of the Colorado decision must also apply to any general election. And there also has to be teeth to enforce the decision if it o- is o- overturning the Colorado yeah. Supreme Court decision. Well, there will, it will be, Robert. The decision of the federal court in, in ruling on the South Carolina, on the um, Colorado case, will be will apply nationwide. And uh, initially it will be in the circuit court, which applies only in certain states. Then it will go up to the Supreme Court, and then that will apply nationally. Um, to be honest with you, this knock Trump off the ballot is galvanizing Trump voters and is great for rallying our base, but it's not a serious threat. Um, they're not going to rule Trump off the ballot. You think that, Dick, 100%? Yes, I do. Gonna... Good. I, I love hearing that from but, you. But I think it's very important that we understand how far these people are willing to go. And right. we use this to flip the issue of dictatorship. And say it isn't Trump who's going to be a dictator. It's not Trump who wants to put Biden in jail. It's not Trump who wants to knock Biden off the ballot. It's not Trump who right. wants to impose a gag order on Biden. It's Biden who wants to do this to Trump. And the real threat of dictatorship here is not from Donald Trump. It's from the leftist woke mob. This is the Dick Morris Show. Presented by the Patriot Gold Group on 77 WABC. To the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. And I'm wondering what it is I should do. The Dick Morris Show. Hi, this is Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, who just Merry spoke Christmas. up. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, and uh, it's sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. You know, the, uh, the, the entire focus of global media that is itself anti-Semitic, is itself biased against Jews. Mm. Some are biased against Jews because they're too conservative. Others are biased against them because they're too liberal. Others (laughs) are biased against them because they're too rich. They're too vocal. They occupy the high places in our society. Mm -hmm. And envy and jealousy has a lot to do with that. But part of the media focus is they're claiming that Israel is being beastly and horrible to the Gaza, to the Palestinians yeah. and to the people in Gaza. Now, of course, this only started because Gaza launched a surprise attack on Israel. It was particularly vicious and killed 1,200 people and resulted in the imprisonment of several hundred more as hostages. But Israel, from the very beginning of this process, has gone out of its way to be, do more than any other country at war has ever done to protect the civilian population. Uh, it is assigned a nine-mile-long humanitarian zone for Palestinians to seek refuge It opened where they won't bomb. It opened a new border crossing for both humanitarian and commercial goods, releasing a map of the areas it would not be striking and, uh, and uh, designating approximately 150 safe routes in southern Gaza that it will not strike.
song. So nobody it wants bothers to, me that you even have to explain this, Dick. You know. Yeah. Well, nobody wants to come out and say they would like Hamas to win, uh, and certainly Biden isn't going to do that. Mm. But by urging a ceasefire, and then urging Israel to mitigate its bombing yeah. and not be indiscriminate in its bombing, and to uh, and to be much more civilized in its conduct of the war, it is basically calling for an Israeli defeat. Really. Um, well. If it's a, a little like it's a little like putting the handcuffs on the cops and defunding the police. It's a little bit precisely, like exactly. Uh-huh. I hadn't thought of that. You're exactly right. Mm-hmm. And by calling for calling for a ceasefire, so that the surprise attackers, Hamas, can regroup and rearm, yeah, right. and uh, and recruit more people and replace the losses they've had mm-hmm. and reorganize, they're calling for a Hamas victory. They're calling for Israeli defeat. And they don't dare do that because public opinion would be outraged and Biden would lose all kinds of Jewish support, all kinds of Christian support. Is Israel uh, listening to Biden, though? Or no, Israel they, hates Biden. Uh, and they're not listening to any of this, are they? No, no. They, Netanyahu they, specifically says he's not listening. Good. And he's not going to have a ceasefire and he's not going to cut back Good on their him. armed activity. Good. He did during the hostage exchange until hostage release until Hamas violated its agreement and stopped releasing hostages, and then Israel no longer observed a ceasefire. How many do they have still? Hostages? I don't know what the count is. I think they a, still have about 140, and I think oh. they've released about 70 or 80 or 60. Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact count. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's th- this whole thing of hostages is designed to create a media narrative mm-hmm. that victimizes Israel. And... Um, and the American media that is, as I said, largely anti-Semitic, uh, is falls in line with that and really believes it. I saw a great cartoon of an Israeli soldier kneeling down shooting at Hamas with the children behind him and the Hamas soldiers shooting at the Israeli soldier with the children in front of them. Yeah, yeah. Like that was their shield. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Mm. Now... We can oppose and worry and go crazy about the impact of, uh, of, of Hamas and of negative forces all we like. But we have to realize that one of the big negative forces in the world is the, are the unions in the United States mm-hmm. that have huge pension funds that are investing those pension funds in China. Oh, God. A Princeton has at least 155 million invested in China, Stanford at least 80 million, Yale 50 million, MIT 22 million, Duke 20 million, Carnegie Mellon 10 million. Oh, my God. In 2019, uh, there was $4 billion invested in China by pension funds. Then that grew to $9 million in 2020, $18 million in 21, and $25 million in 22. And Chinese uh, investing in Chinese stocks is tempting because Beijing tightly controls its market and can artificially inflate returns. But as Navarro warns, they're making investment in, in, in startups that are competing against us and are democratically aligned countries with a rigged system of – I'm sorry, despotically aligned countries with a rigged system – where the Communist Chinese Party basically puts thumbs on the scale and can adjust the returns to make them bigger or smaller. 
it's not an honest stat. Identifying these investors is a critical step in deterring this type of assistance and preventing China from continuing its quest for dominance because the whole system is rigged in China and there may be a day when they don't, when they, when you don't get your money back. Now, the issue of endowments for these large colleges is very significant. Uh, Harvard's endowment has risen from about $10 billion in 1990 to over $70 billion now. And increasingly, the college endowments are becoming a place that politicians are looking for taxes. Trump has proposed, Trump really started the process by proposing that we tax college endowments to create free college for and free master's degrees and free doctorates for Americans uh, in an American academy that would not feature woke indoctrination and would have high academic standards. And now Tom Cotton, the senator from Arkansas, has chimed in and suggested taxing endowments to fund counters to anti-Semitism. And I think that the that these college endowments are increasingly, university endowments, are increasingly becoming the object of focus because they're very large, they've become huge, and they are, they are underwriting the Chinese communist regime. So to get it straight, Iran is, under, is, un, is funding Hamas. The U.S. government, by permitting oil exports, is funding Iran. The, uh, the colleges and universities, by investing in China, are funding China. And China is providing the military backing for all of this offensive by the Palestinians and the Iranians and the Qatarians. So that's the cast of characters. And it's very important that we work to cut off the flow of money from the retirement systems in the U.S. to China. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you, and I'm wondering what it is I should do. We talked a little bit earlier about God letting us have free will and then acquainting us with the consequences of our decisions. Mm -hmm. Nowhere is that more clearly evident than in migration from state to state in the United States, which, as you know, is totally uncontrolled and you can just move any time you like to any state that you like. And increasingly it is evident that large groups of people, massive numbers of population, are physically moving from high-tech states to low-tech states. Uh, between April 2020, that's a month after the start of COVID, <clears throat> through July 23, two years later, basically, three years later, Pop Florida gained 800,000 people. Texas gained 700,000 people. And California lost 1,200,000 1, people and New York lost 882,000 people. So Florida gained 900,000. Texas gained 700,000. California lost 1.1 million. New York lost 900,000. Wow. The most massive, in, most massive shift of population 
in this country since blacks started leaving the South um, after slavery and uh, moved to cities like Detroit and New York and Chicago and, and, and transformed a, a rural, a rural, largely post-slave population into an urban manufacturing industrial age population. Mm. <clears throat> Think of the magnitude of that shift. And now we are looking at the same, same order of magnitude, only with people leaving high tax states, mainly New York and California, and moving to low tax states, largely Florida and Texas. I just hope they're not liberals that are going to vote liberals into the governments of those states. Well, that's the question. Do they bring their ideology with them right. or do they adopt the ideology of the place they're moving to? Right. And you'd think if they have half a brain, they'd realize that the reason they're fleeing California right. is not that the weather suddenly turned bad. It's that there's a 13.3% income tax. Right. Texas has none. Florida has none that the sales tax is two points higher in California than it is in Florida, and that the high-tax regimes in Florida and in California and New York have driven population out at a very rapid pace. Right. The states that have lost population are California, 1.2 million. New York, 882,000. Illinois, 364,000. New Jersey, 153,000. Massachusetts, 149,000. Well, the good thing about New York is I could ride my motorcycle around a city with less traffic. Well, they're tourists, so you can't necessarily. Oh, damn. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, the influx states of so Florida with 819,000, Texas with 615,000, mm -hmm. North Carolina and South Carolina with 300,000 each. In Arizona with 200,000. Now, the evidence at the moment is that in 20 and 22, these new migrants brought their ideology with them and moved these states somewhat to the left. We had a tough time in Texas re-electing Ted Cruz, and, um, and we had a tough time in Florida uh, when DeSantis was first elected. He was re-elected by a large margin. Right. But increasingly, the results of the Biden administration are showing America in the spirit we talked about of Christmas, the flaws of their, of the high tax states. And the weather becomes very burdensome when the taxes become bad. <laughs> and you really see the consequences of what you're dealing with. Right. And I think that that shift, uh, in, in population is going to underscore a dramatic shift in the national identity and the mix of people in the United States. Um, I want to mention a somber note, uh, connection with Christmas, to send our prayers out to the singer Celine Dion. Mm. Celine's sister gives a sad update on her condition. She does not have control over her muscles. Horrible. She's fighting with great spirit to return to the stage, but her sister said the disease attacking her nervous system maybe more than a match for her will. A year ago, Celine Dion canceled her tour scheduled for this year and announced that she has what's known as stiff person syndrome, mm. a progressive neurological disease that attacks the muscles and limits mobility. She's working hard, but she doesn't have control over her muscles. Because it's one out of a million case, scientists haven't done that much research because it doesn't affect 
that many people. Mm. I believe that's horrible. And while we're what a, sending what out, what a shame! What a shame! And while we're sending out wishes for the recovery of great people entertainers, let's do Linda Ronstadt, who is suffering from Parkinson's oh, disease and has been for a while. Oh yeah. Um, let's go to Richard in Long Island, who has the most important question. Yes, Dick. Uh, I was wondering uh, the uh, thing that's going on with uh, President Trump. Uh, with the uh, just happened in D.C. Uh, that the Supreme Court is, uh, you know, with the immunity. And what happens next? In other words, do you think that the uh, case uh, in uh, Georgia will also be able to put off until after the election? Okay. Well, great question, and everybody's wondering that. The case in Georgia is. Uh, is, is not controlled, really, by, by the Supreme Court process uh, because it's been extended simply because of the skill of Trump's lawyers and the ineptitude of Fannie Willis, the prosecutor. Um, the, they have, the Trump people have appealed many of her decisions on procedural grounds and extended this process to a point where it probably cannot be concluded before the election, uh, which is very good. And we hope they continue to be successful. When, when the special prosecutor saw what was hap- uh, saw what was going on in Georgia, Smith decided he would stop this from happening with the case that's going on in D.C., which he directly controls. And the Trump people were saying the president has immunity from suits of this sort. He can't be sued for things that happened during his administration. Uh, the only remedy for that is impeachment, and, uh, and and that is not the issue now. It can only be tried by the House and the Senate. Mm. So the Supreme Court, so S- Smith went to the Supreme Court and said, I want you to do an exped- expedited ruling on this, on Trump's motion, so that we can resolve it in time to complete this trial by Election Day. And the Supreme Court said partially no, they said, we're not going to review this right now. We want to hear what the appellate court has to say first. And they postponed the thing by another month or month and a half. So that's we good. Don't know how, yeah, it is. We don't know how soon the appellate courts can rule, but the appellate court could take its time and kick this thing over till after the election. My, my hope is obviously that's what happens, but given the fact that judges love to postpone things and love not to deal with issues, particularly Supreme Court judges, then I think this is entirely possible. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. 
Hi, welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro. Merry uh, Christmas. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Um, I bet every week, every two or three weeks on this show, I've been covering stories that others are not covering about the emerging truth about the origins of the COVID virus and the, the role that China played in that. But now we have a story. And, you know, I can't believe this stuff is not featured on the news. I'll bet most of the people on the show don't know about this. Um, but there is increasing evidence that the COVID development in China by Americans was hidden from the Pentagon. There's a group called the U.S. Right to Know, a nonprofit public health research group, nonprofit and nonpartisan, working to expose corporate wrongdoing and government failures that threaten our health. And they found out, based on an FOI, Freedom of Information lawsuit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that American researchers concealed their intention to conduct high-risk coronavirus research in Wuhan under lax safety standards from the Pentagon the year before COVID pandemic. In other words, the year before the COVID pandemic broke out, the American researchers decided to conduct high-risk coronavirus research in Wuhan because the safety standards were lax. Their 2018 grant proposal called Project Defuse, D-E-F-U-S-E, co-authored by the Wuhan Institute of Virology and American scientists, is stoked concern that the pandemic resulted from a lab accident. It proposed engineering high-risk coronaviruses of the same species as SARS and sars covid 2 Most worrying to some scientists, the proposal involves synthesizing spike proteins from foreign cleavage sites, the same feature that supercharged SARS into the most infectious pandemic pathogen in a century. Indeed, some scientists have likened defuse to a blueprint for generating SARS in the lab. You just explain that. If you look at a coronavirus, there are lots of pictures of them. Mm-hmm. They uh, they look a little bit like the early space satellites. Right. Uh, there's a nucleus and then there are antenna projecting from around them. The Sputnik. Yeah. And the way the virus spreads is one of those antenna breaks the membrane of another cell. Mm. And through it, it's the, the DNA flows into the other cell and takes it over. And the cell becomes captive of it and spreads the virus. And that's mm-hmm. how it moves around. That's how it's contagious. What Wuhan Lab did was to was to facilitate how to alter those spikes, those antenna, so that they could more easily affect humans, and so they would be more lethal when it did. Now, new documents obtained by U.S. Right to Know show that these experiments were conducted to occur in part in Wuhan with fewer safety precautions than required in the U.S., apparently to save on costs. American scientists at the center of the lab leak theory controversy appear to have concealed this from their desired funder, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, a U.S. government operation. Oh, my God. In order to evade any national security concerns about doing high-level biosecurity work in China, in other words, to fool the federal government into approving the grant even though the research would take place in China. The documents call into question the credibility of these scientists' assurances that 
the pandemic could not have sprung out of their collaboration on coronavirus engineering research with the lab in Wuhan. U.S. Right to Know has obtained an early draft of Defuse, the project title, with comments from, from PD, who is Peter Daszak, D-A-S-Z-A-K, and BRS, who is Ralph S. Barrick. These folks are really the two biggest villains in the emerging discussion of how COVID spread to the human race and killed really? six million people. Peter Danzig, D-A-S-Z-A-K, Dazak, leads the Echo Health Alliance, an organization that discovers novel viruses. Barrick helms a University of North Carolina lab with a focus on coronaviruses. Both Dazak and Barak have worked with the Wuhan Institute of Virology on gain-of-function research, making coronaviruses more deadly or infectious. The formal defuse grant proposal states that Barack and Chapel Hill, North Carolina, will engineer the coronavirus spike proteins, that's the antenna, right. and test their ability to infect human cells. The, 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 one of the applicants for this grant, Dasag, uh, who I mentioned earlier. D-A-S-Z-A-K. Right. Said, uh-huh. if we win this contract, I do not propose that all of this work will necessarily be conducted by Ralph, meaning in North Carolina. But I do want to stress the U.S. side of this proposal, to stress the U.S. side of this proposal, so that DARPA, the federal agency, is comfortable with this, with our team. Once we get the funds, we can then allocate them to who does what exact work, and I believe that a lot of these essays can be done in Wuhan as well. In other words, they made an application for federal funds to cover this research, and they disguised... In Wuhan, in Wuhan. Yeah, and they, and they claimed it was in the U.S., uh-huh. but they, quote, we want to downplay the U.S. focus of this proposal by not highlighting the involvement of Chinese researchers. Desert Sounds like wrote, there's some illegal <laughs> stuff going on here, isn't there, Dick? At least. Okay. I'm planning to use my resume and Ralph's, another American. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he, she spoke to Zenguli, the Chinese head of this. Zenli. Zenli. Zengli. Zengil. I realize your resumes are also very impressive, but I'm trying to downplay the non-U.S. focus of this proposal so Dorfa, the feds, doesn't see this as a negative. So it, they transferred, they came up with this proposal to find how to infect more viruses, how to make the viruses more active and more deadly, and how to hasten their infections to people. And they made this proposal in 2018, two years before the COVID virus. And they said that this would be conduct, research on this would be conducted in the U.S., in North Carolina, and uh, both in North Carolina. And, in fact, they were funneling this money to the Wuhan Institute mm. of Virology, which is controlled by the Chinese government and the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese Army. And they hid that fact from the United States by disguising it as an American initiative and disguising the identity of the scientists who would work on it by saying that they were American. So that this, so that it became an American project that it was likely that the gov- that our government would agree to fund. Now, Rand Paul, senator from Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, 
really led the efforts to expose this. And we had hearings on this about six or eight months ago. And he pinned uh, the the federal officials' ears back by by saying that they were conducting gain-of-function research. Now, the academic establishment says, oh, this is gain-of-function research not to develop these viruses, not to risk releasing them, but to develop antidotes to them. And takes one to no one. It takes one to develop an antidote right. to it. So we're really on the good the good guys in this process. Well, that's the, yeah, that's a shtick. But then it became clear that it was the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese Army that was doing this research, and we have only to trust their good faith that they weren't doing this in any way to infect the world. Yeah. And uh, I believe that it's it's no coincidence that this virus was released, I believe, deliberately at a point when Trump was in the process of running for re-election. It was the year before the election. And China knew that with Trump surging in the polling and Trump's dominating the election, he was likely to win. Hmm. And Trump had developed a platform that was distinctly anti-communist Chinese. He raised tariffs on China, forcing about a third of their exports to the U.S. to be cut. He uh, rearmed America and began to Chinese to challenge Chinese military power. And he uh, wow. began to restrict China, to, to ask to restrict China so that it would not have automatic most favored nation status. Didn't finish that job, but got the others along right. quite, quite well. So China had to get rid of Trump. They had to defeat him. Back, this is back to Metaxas, his evil and the hatred, and um, you, you create this thing so that people will, this is just a evil being created that we have to wake up to. Yeah, absolutely. And what we have to wake up to now During is Christmas. the complicity of our government in this. Right. Uh, now, I don't believe that these guys in our government were trying to kill six million people. I don't believe in our government. You our government, yes. uh -huh. China. I think they were. Yeah. In our government, I don't think that they were trying to sabotage Donald Trump. With What's them. our stupidity in our, our government? Our stupidity is that we have this academic bias toward research, right? And uh, it made sense to our people that we would research the antidote to this virus, and to do that, we needed to develop the virus. And our people, our regulators, did not look closely at it and passed on pretty easily. Right. And I also think that our researchers had a profit motive because they right. wanted the grant money. Mm. And they said, oh, yeah, we have to develop this virus so that we can develop an antibody in case well, it gets out. Dick, when we, when we give money to, like, China and Wuhan, do we have our guys in there looking at what they're doing and, and checking out the, the research and where they're going with this? Or no, we're just Probably sitting home, basic, basically, hanging out. Basically not. Hmm. Uh, we, they have, we have an arm's length oversight. We have to money length. spent. We need to make sure it wasn't stolen or anything. Well, paperwork, right? But, yeah. Well, but in terms of any real uh, check over this stuff, no. Uh, uh, and okay. So bear there's the problem that, right there. Bear in mind that Tony Fauci, who was in charge of this for the U.S. government, well, not just idiot, he set up labs around the world to manufacture COVID viruses. Mm. And he claimed the reason he was doing it was that the Patriot Act in the U.S. passed after 9-11 
prohibited this kind of research on American soil. I was just about to ask that about why don't we do it here. There you go. So he went around the world to open these labs. Mm. Now, I think Fauci was a sort of mad scientist driven by a search for grant money Mm. and uh, driven by the need to stay ahead of the research, uh, both for academic reasons and for personal financial gain because mm-hmm. he made his living off these, this grant money. And I think that he was pursuing this research without any concern for what it was going to do to the human race and without any understanding that this stuff was very malignant and really could easily leak. But I think it goes beyond that. I think that the Chinese communists facilitated this research, facilitated access to U.S. money, because they wanted to develop a bioweapon to use to destroy Donald Trump. Right. Wow, and, that's crazy. And I man. believe that that was the Chinese strategy yeah. to escape the the measures that Trump imposed that were badly hurting their economy. Um, that's what I think happened. I think you're right. Let's go to Charles in Queens. Hi, wow. Charles. Unbelievable. Yeah, hi, hi. Great, great show, guys. Thank you. Always a great show. Um, I wanted to make a comment or two, and then I have a very important question that I'd like to ask. First of all, the humanitarian aid that Israel keeps on being forced you know, to stop and let aid come in, it doesn't go to the people. It never no, does. It goes to an agency we'll talk about later, the UN Agency for Relief and Refugees. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in a minute. But go to your next question because I may be answering it anyway in, my, in the course of stuff. Go ahead, Hello? Charles. Charles, give me your next question because yeah. I may uh, be oh, answering that. Okay, okay, I'll just ask the question. My question is, with God's help, when Trump wins on November 5th, 6th, 7th, whatever it is, in 2024, it's going to be two and a half months till he becomes president until January 20. What are the Democrats going to do? They're going to do another uh, peaceful demonstration <laughs> like uh, they did in 2020? <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, I I think they will go crazy. I think they'll do everything they can to disrupt stuff. (laughs) But, you know, I... But that's different. That's different because it's... We'll be on the good side. We'll have the government behind us. I mean, Biden will have power, but there's some chance that he may try to hang on to power, citing the revolutionary environment, but I don't think... What what, what do you mean by that? What are you trying to say? Well, he's president, and he's in charge of the army. And if there's a revolution pending, he could try to postpone Trump's taking office until that's over. But I don't think that's real. I mean, look, I'm always underestimating the audacity of the Democrats. But here, I I don't think that's real. To be honest with you, I'm so focused on Trump winning that I haven't given a moment's thought to what happens after it. Wow. But thank you for the question. So they create a revolution, and then Biden says, well, now we have to look at the the transfer. They might. might. Interesting. Wouldn't put anything past them. Yeah, right. The evil, whatever. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. To the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. And I'm Hi, welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. 
<laughs> Before I get to what I was going to talk about, I just want to comment on the news item or the excerpt from one of our blogs that you just heard about Hochul dealing with legislation to limit the civil liberties of New Yorkers. In the event of a new pandemic, the World Health Organization has now completed a treaty that the United States has signed that will not have to come to the Senate for ratification that delegates powers to the World Health Organization. Hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They, they, this went through already, Dick, the, what you were talking about last year? I believe it has. Mm-hmm. I can't be completely positive, okay, okay. but I think it has. Okay, I think in that big brouhaha about the, you know, the, uh, the, the climate change stuff, right. they included this. I don't oh really know God. the answer to that yet. Okay, okay. But I'll check it out. But we really need to understand it because this, is this, this regulation gives virtually dictatorial powers to the government to ban speech and to punish speech. So if anybody says this vaccine doesn't work or anybody says this epide- this pandemic isn't real or anybody says we don't have to lock down, this is an extreme measure, they could literally be imprisoned under this. This isn't going to happen, Dick. The good old boys are not going to let this happen. Well, the girl boys are on the other side of this. Uh, that's I mean, I mean. Yeah. I mean, they may well. Uh, You're not going to tell me I can't do this. They're going to yeah. get their, their pickup trucks and their guns. They're not going to let this oh, happen. Oh, I see. Our good old boys. No. Our good old boys yeah. are not going to no. let this happen. People but, like me. Yeah, but stop. I think that <laughs> I think that, that it's entirely possible that as a Trump victory becomes more and more apparent, if there is evidence that the virus is mutating and and endangering us that the that they use this the government uses this to try to inhibit trump's momentum and try to stop his winning the election and i think that i think that that's something we have to bear in mind um somebody asked earlier about would there be a a revolution Uh, i think that the more likely thing is that the government uses its power under the world health organization and with the excuse of a COVID epidemic, to try to limit our freedom. And, Actually, uh, Dick, I cut you off as you were explaining what this is, so yeah. continue on explaining yeah, what th- they're ta- trying to do here. You know, they're saying that they, when we have a pandemic, uh, we need to be able to control speech. We can't have people running around saying this isn't a pandemic. <laughs> Take off your masks, socially mix, uh, go back to don't, don't practice separation. Um, and they're saying that when people go around and say the vaccine causes more anti- after effects and side effects than it than it than good effects, that you're spreading propaganda, which is basically like spreading the virus. Right. And uh, we've yet to test how far this goes, but it could be carried very far by the left, and something we have to worry about. We'll talk about further. Now. I spoke earlier about the mass migration going on in the United States, where California has lost 1.2 million people, and Texas has lost almost a million, and Florida has gained almost a million. I'm sorry, excuse me. Mass migration where California has lost 1.1 million, New York has lost almost a million, and Florida and Texas have gained the population. But there is one group that's moving in the other direction, the homeless. <laughs> huh. 
HUD has released its 23 homeless estimates and found that 853,000 people experienced homelessness this year, up 12% from last year, and the highest number since 2009. Is that across the whole United States? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. It would be reasonable to think that homelessness is a bigger problem in warmer climates than those in freezing temperatures at night in the winter. I always say that. But then why has Florida's homeless population fallen by 40% while California has expanded by 40%? Hmm. There were more homeless in Los Angeles County than in Florida and Texas combined. More free stuff. More than half of the people experiencing homelessness in this country were in four states. California, New York, Florida, and Washington. And 28% of the nation's homeless are in California alone. New York's homelessness went up three times the national average. In the blue states, the goal is just the opposite of countering homelessness. In 2016, the Discovery Institute reported California enacted a new law requiring that every state dollar spent on homelessness be spent on housing first programs, and that half of the shelters cannot require anything in return from participants. They can't require that they stop taking drugs or that the mentally ill take their medications or that the unemployed fill vacant jobs. Oh, at, that's the federal, great. at the federal level, those receiving free housing dollars cannot be compelled to search for work, receive job training, or even obey the law. <laughs> is it any wonder that the squalor and despair of homelessness is spreading in the most progressive areas, and with almost everything the left touches, the results are regressive, not progressive. Good for them. And the 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 entire effort for homelessness uh, is based on on the belief that you can't lock anyone up. Uh, there's no more enforcement of what used to be called the vagrancy laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't require anybody to get a job. You can't require anybody to work. And these constraints have created the problem of homelessness. Sure. Uh, 30 years ago, people like that would go to mental hospitals. Now they can't. The hospitals are overcrowded and they've stopped admitting people unless it's an emergency. Right. It's and, not nice. And the uh, and, and this the flow of dollars to these operations has continued. And uh cope and the and the the homelessness has become almost a political movement. It's a little bit like the refugees in the in the Gaza area where the they maintain the refugees because they want to keep the issue alive. And that's the case with homelessness. Wow. And I think that it's I think it's a big part of their effort to keep the issue alive because you see them on the street. Sure. You have to step over them to cross the street. Yeah, I and get it. It obviously wow. keeps this issue going. Um, let's go to Ralph in Westchester. Hi, Hi Ralph. Ralph. Hi. Uh I'd like you to get this to Trump's lawyers because no one seems to understand the history of the fourteenth amendment and that when it was passed, President Johnson was the guy who they tried to impeach for being a Southern sympathizer. And Johnson was considering running for re-election. And they thought they couldn't get the amendment through if they were going to prevent a presidential candidate from running for office. So what they did was they mentioned the senators, they mentioned congressmen, they mentioned the electors for president. Mm. 
They couldn't prevent the president from having Southern sympathies because the president at the time did have Southern sympathies and was considering running for re-election. Ralph, I've never, I've never heard that, but it makes complete sense given the politics of the time. Uh, I'm going to research that and talk about it on my show next week. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. And call us back next week, Ralph. Yeah, do. That's a very good comment. I yeah, had not excellent. realized that. Excellent. Ralph is correct that what, in, what was the impetus behind that provision was that the southern states newly readmitted to the Union were electing former Confederates to Congress, and Congress wanted to ban them from taking their seats. So they needed a constitutional provision that allowed them to do that. But I always thought that the fact that they did not include the president in that was either an oversight or just a drafting issue. But what you're proposing now is really, really interesting. Uh, Ralph, thank you, and please call back. Now, a large part of the funding that goes to Hamas is from U.S. taxpayers. The, a number of Republican senators, led by Bill Haggerty from Tennessee and Ted Cruz from Texas, have proposed ending the U.S. funding for the U.N. Relief and Works Agency, UNRWA, UN Relief and Works Agency, UNRWA, UNRWA, something. And that's the, aid that's the aid organization that works in Gaza, has been linked in recent weeks to Hamas's war crimes. And, the, and, and they are the funnel for U.S. and U.N. aid to the refugees. When Israel was founded, everybody was given their choice of stay in Israel or come or flee. And the Israelis promised safe passage for anybody that chose to leave Israel. And about half of the Arabs did, and about half of them stayed. Those who fled went, many, in many cases, went to refugee camps, where they have stayed for the last eighty years. And what 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 people fled? Uh, Israeli the Palestinians who lived in Israel, right? Okay, the Palestinian, the Got Israeli it. Arabs. Got it. And they chose rather than be in Israel, they wanted to flee, and no country would take them. Got Originally, it. Jordan did, but then they threw them out. Then Lebanon did, but they threw them out. And all this time, the U.N. agency that took care of them became basically the leading advocate for, for the Palestinians and basically for Hamas. The U.S. awarded the aid organization a $600 million, even as the agency promotes anti-Semitism in its schools mm, and advocates uh, Israelis, Israel's disruption. The Republicans are renewing their efforts to cut off U.S. funds to UNRWA, UNRWA, in wake of these reports that the agency employees conspired with Hamas to kidnap Israeli citizens. The certifications included in the Republican bill would force UNRWA to conduct stringent security screenings on the more than 30,000 Palestinian employees in its agency, a portion of whom have been tied to Hamas in recent years. Mm -hmm. UN and RWA facilities have also been used by Iranian-backed terror groups to store weapons and fire rockets into Israel. But recent reports indicate that UN RWA employees helped Hamas hide Israel, Israeli hostages during its threat during the unprecedented raid into Israel. One of the hostages was held for nearly 50 days in the attic of a UN RWA teacher while an additional hostage was held by a doctor, uh, a doctor 
uh, in the UNRWA. Uh, the UNRWA is one of the worst of many organizations in the UN that incites anti-Semitism and benefits Hamas, Ted Cruz said in a statement. The Biden administration is giving them uncountable and uncounted U.S. taxpayers' dollars, which flow directly to Hamas because the administration puts partisan politics and ideological objectives above national security interests of the U.S. military and our allies. Of course, what the Cruz statement doesn't say, but Cruz has said on many, many occasions, is that it is entirely the Biden policy of lifting the embargo on Iranian oil sales that has freed Hamas for this horrible attack and has kindled this entire crisis going into place. This crisis, the refugees, the the hostages, the deaths, the bombings, is entirely the creation of the Biden administration because it permits Iran to sell as much oil abroad as it wishes. And by the way, if you think that this oil is helping to lower the price of oil and gas in the United States, you're wrong. Over half of this oil that Iran exports goes directly to China, and uh, it has no effect on the U.S. market. Why Biden lifted this restriction is incomprehensible. Unless unless you you read my book, Corrupt, the inside (laughs) story of Biden's hidden money, which is that he's being funded by the Chinese. He's being funded indirectly by the Iranians, and this is in his interest. I was setting you up for that, Dick. Yeah, I know you were were (laughs) like the place kicker, holding the ball. (laughs) That's right. I'm the good one. Uh, Yeah, I mean, look, China above all needs oil. It consumes 10 million barrels a day. It produces only 3 million barrels a day. Say it again. It consumes 10 million barrels a day. It produces only three. And it desperately needs oil. Mm-hmm. And Iran is providing it with all the oil that it needs. So why did Biden lift the oil embargo on Iran with such disastrous consequences for Israel in the Middle East? To help China. Easy. Yeah, to help China. China wow. needed the oil. And Biden lifted that embargo so that China could get the oil. And that was the payback, the quid pro quo oh my for God. the bribes he received from China. As we say, the VIG. Yeah. This is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Hi, welcome back to the Dick Morris Show. This is Dick Morris with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Jeff in New York has the key question. What will China do to stop Trump this time? Jeff? Jeff? Jeff, you're on. Okay, I'll answer it. What will China do to stop Trump this time? Hello? Yeah, hi. Is Jeff there? No, I'm here. Hi, Jeff? Yeah, hi. Sorry, Jack. Jack, can you hear me? Yes. When I was call- when I was calling, I-, I-, I think I missed your answer at that second time. So I apologize if I'm repeating this. But okay. I- w- when you said that China had used COVID because they were afraid of the things that uh, Trump was going to do to them, so that and I agree with you 100. percent So the question was, I was going to ask, what are they going to do in the future? I think you were answering that while I was calling in. So I missed the answer. I I heard half the answer is that they- they're going to once again 
make a, a deadly virus uh, uh, around the world. Yeah. Is that what you said? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know, and it's speculation. We all have to think about it. Right now, the status of COVID is that it's spreading widely. I bet you all know people who've had it or who are having it now. Uh, it's causing a spike in hospitalizations, but no spike in deaths. It's becoming more common, but more benign. It's becoming more like a, a regular flu. Yeah, exactly. This horrible thing that we exactly. It's not going to kill another six million people. Right. Um, but will it? Is there are there efforts to change that virus and make it more potent? Mm. Will China try something else to stop Trump from being elected? I think yeah. Yeah, I think they might, and I don't know what it is. Mm. Um, I'd welcome thoughts if any of you have any, because uh, it's worth looking at. In fact, I'm going to, after the show, give Peter Navarro a call, because he's been a for- in the forefront of everybody. In he really, this he really has so much knowledge. He says. I'll ask him, and I'll get back to you on the show next week, Jeff. Let's go to Jake uh, in Long Island. Hi, Dick. It's nice to talk to you. Good talk to you. You know, I- I really thought the same thing as you just said about the coronavirus, but I thought a little bit differently. I thought that it was an accident, and it was a leak from a lab, and the Chinese took lemons and turned it into lemonade. Yeah, but they made the lemons. It's from Wuhan to the rest of China, but they let flights go to the rest of the world, which brings me to my question to you. Doesn't that alone make them liable and accountable for the six million deaths? I think so, it sure yes. Does. It sure does. But you're using phrases like liable and accountable, assuming that they're subject to any kind of law. They're not. No, they're not, right. And uh, Biden has absolutely let them get off scot-free without, without any sanctions. He could or, look have, at, or even looking into it. He could have imposed sanctions and said, I'm, not going, to, I'm going to cut back trade with China. I'm going to impose additional tariffs unless China opens the Wuhan lab to inspection and permits us to see what was going on there, understand what went on at the time of the pandemic, and, and is able, are able to track this down and see who did it. And he deliberately let that go, did nothing of the sort. And so, as Trump said, we owe them money from, you know, loans and whatnot, right? Am I right about that, Dick? Yeah, well, we could... We uh, are, and just say, go on. Yeah. China is the country in the world who is most vulnerable to American sanctions. Right. First of all, as you say, we pay them about a billion dollars a year. I'm sorry. I pay them over almost a trillion dollars a year in a interest. A trillion. Yeah. A trillion. In interest, which we could cut dramatically. Let me just think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it would be less. It would be about $300 billion. <laughs> um, that we pay them annually. But we also have a trillion, and here we're right, a dollar negative balance of trade with them. Right. So if we impose tariffs and we stop paying them the interest on their debt... It'll kill uh, them. It'll kill them. And it'll blacklist the U.S. People won't want to lend us money. Trump was going to do that. Didn't he talk about doing that? He did. He did. And then the establishment said, oh, my God, we'll ruin our credit. Nobody will ever lend us money again. I don't think so. And he said, you're not going to lend money to the United States. You're saying the United States is a bad risk, but you're going to lend money to other people in the world. Forget about it. You're just bluffing. <laughs> and I think that it's. I think that we could and should call their bluff. Um, go to Peter in New York. Hi, Peter. Hey, Peter. Dick, uh, we know about Soros. We know about a lot of things. 
Obama, Joe Biden, who is behind, who, who's, who's inside with China? Who has the power in America to let the Trojan hmm. horse in like China? Yeah, Biden. I, I don't agree with your premise. I think that uh, the mastermind of what's going on in China now is Xi Jinping, the mm. prime minister president. Uh, China was under Mao, which was horrible. Uh, he tried two initiatives to try to turn the country around. Uh, one was called the Great Leap Forward, and the other was called the Cultural Revolution. And each one killed 50 to 100 million people, uh, Chinese people, deliberately killed. And Mao tried to force modernization, and it didn't work. Modernization what? Modernization. Oh, modernization. And it did not work. Then Deng Xiaoping came in largely to revise Mao's policies. And he said, no, capitalism is what you need. You need a stock market, you need profit incentives, you need a modern economy. And that worked very well. The only problem with it was that they could not really access the U.S. market in the way they wanted to. So they bribed Bill Clinton to get them into the World Trade Organization with campaign contributions. They got into the World Trade Organization, and the U.S. trade deficit with China skyrocketed by about tenfold as a result of their being in the WTO. But the problem still existed that they really could not export to the U.S. as much as they wanted. And, the, and Trump, when he came into office, imposed tariffs on them to cut back those exports. China had to get rid of those tariffs. The first thing they did was doing whatever fraud there was in the Biden re-election, in the Biden election. But the second thing that they did was to dramatically increase exports to the United States and uh, manipulate their currency and their tax policies to do that. And uh, now the issue is how do they continue that uh, in the post-COVID, post-Biden era? And that's the question we're looking at. We don't know. But this is basically run by an ideological communist, Xi Jinping, who really believes this stuff, who really is a Marxist-Leninist. And he has the same motivation as Lenin did and Stalin did and the other dictators. Uh, they're true believers. I don't think they're being manipulated by any Americans. Now, while we're talking about all this, recruitment in our military has basically collapsed. Uh, the woke military in the U.S. in 24 will face the smallest size and the lowest qualification levels in 80 years. American young people are simply refusing to serve in the military. They'll rent rooms to let 50 cents No phone, no pool, no pets Ain't got no cigarettes, but two hours of Reports emerging from the Pentagon suggest that the United States military is entering the year 2024 with the smallest size and lowest qualification levels in nearly eight decades. This year's significant shortfall of 41,000 people, whereas Trump had no problem in recruiting and reached the recruiting targets every year. Among the reasons for the shortfall is the requirement that you take COVID vaccines, an increasingly woke military atmosphere, 
where trans soldiers are given special privileges while Christian soldiers are persecuted. Bases host drag shows and leaders with a history it's of It's an army. And leaders with a history of anti-white sentiments are hired. Matt Gates notes that under Trump's regime, the military was on point in meeting its staffing and recruitment goals. And uh, so we're seeing the byproducts of our woke culture and the changes that we're making in the United States. And it's the military. Those. Yeah, it is. And, and they're hitting us in a very vulnerable point here. Morons. And people letting it happen. Yep. Credi- credibility to stupidity. Yep. But the American people are basically saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to volunteer myself. Why should I stick out my neck? Uh, This is not something I really believe in. Song, Dick, you're right. There's no sure indication of our confidence as a nation and of our ability to survive than our capacity to recruit troops. You know, Trump will reverse this immediately. He will. He will. Immediately. That would be one of his first priorities. During the Vietnam era, all hell broke loose because the government insisted on draft, and it reached into the lives of millions of Americans, disrupted them, risked them, put their careers on hold, inflicted massive damage on them for the Vietnam War. And their families, everything. And then Nixon came in, and Nixon said, hey, the only reason there's an anti-war movement is because there's a draft. It's not ideologically opposed to the war or anything. Mm. It's that they're afraid of the draft. So he said, how much would it take in pay increases to avoid the draft? And they gave him a stat, and he said, go for it. Hmm. And he raised military salaries so that there was no more need a draft. Everyone wanted to join the army. Now, the left says, oh, that meant that blacks and Hispanics yeah, and yeah, poor of people with the draftees because we, the economy was coercing them into it. But the fact is that it left, it gave us a wonderful military of volunteers of people who wanted to be there, who valued their career in the military. And now that heritage is being dissipated by the Biden administration. Let's go to... Uh, Tony in New Jersey. Hi, Hi Dick. Tony. Uh, I got a suggestion. Uh, why don't we use some of these migrants and put them in the military? <laughs> yeah. you know, offer them citizenship. Yep. Offer them, uh, uh, teach them language well, skills. We, we do. We have not, that has not been promoted, but we do. If you join the military and you are here illegally, you can stay. And after a period of time, you can apply for citizenship. And uh, and, there, and the, there is no way you can be deported while you're serving in the military. Didn't Lincoln do that with the slaves? Something to that effect? Yeah, he did, but that's way Different. earlier. I know, I know. But the idea is that 
this is a very good proposal, Tony. And if it weren't for the fact that the left wants migrants to be liberals and populate the country and doesn't want the army to be powerful, mm. uh, that would be a very good proposal. And I think it, I think perhaps it really needs to be re, 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 revisited. I hadn't thought about it, but thank you very much. For you know, Dick, that. you just said something that struck me. The left doesn't want the army to be powerful. That's such a weird that the whole thought of that, the dynamic. Why would that? Be? I I know the answer, but why would that be? To talk. They're about afraid that. of the military culture. They're afraid of militarism. Uh, they're afraid of the power of the military. Yeah. And they basically believe that the U.S. military is a colonialist force that promotes domination of the third world yeah. by imperialist mm-hmm. powers. So this is basically they the buy one the world thing. line. Yeah. This is the one world thing that they're into. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. Uh, Peter in New York. Hey, Peter, sorry I misunderstood your question. What's yeah, on your mind? Sorry about that, Dick. Uh, there's still, there's got to be, a, like I said, a Trojan horse that's helping the Chinese. The Chinese are good in producing cheap products, but who's helping them in, on their side, building their own piers to export? Who's, who's financially... Well, it's, it's not so much someone in China... But your suspicion is correct. It's the demand from the United States. Mm. A good example of that is Nikki Haley, who was governor of South Carolina and wanted to have a wonderful economic record that she could cite and move on to higher office. And uh, what she did was to choose an industry out of China, the assembly of auto parts, and encourage it to move to the United States, encourage the Chinese to develop auto part assembly factories in the United States. And while that would create jobs in the U.S., it would more importantly uh, create demand for Chinese auto parts. And uh, the entire industry emerged dependent on exports to South Carolina. So it's deals like that that go on all throughout the country where somebody sees a profit motive in expanding China's imports to the U.S. and they move on. And it's a very good question. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the The Pope this week <coughs> endorsed blessing same-sex couples. The Vatican issued a new document explaining the radical change <coughs> in Vatican policy by insisting that people seeking God's love and mercy should not be subject to an exhaustive moral analysis. The Vatican said there is no intention to legitimize anything, but rather to open one's life to God, to ask for his help to live better, and also to invoke the Holy Spirit so that the values of the gospel may be lived with greater faithfulness. Hmm. And this does not legitimize gay marriage. It doesn't make... Uh, a, ma- a man, and ma- all male or all female married couple on religious parity with a heterosexual one. But it does say they should be able to receive God's blessing, they should be able to receive communion, and they should be included in God's family. I don't think I have a problem with that. I don't think. Okay. 
the um, we just passed our litmus test, folks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I don't know yet. I don't know. They're different. I, I mean, look, there it. is a big difference here between proselytization and discrimination. Uh, I believe that a lot of people who are gay would like to make everybody gay because it's easier that way. Well, that's wrong. And it's it's something that they can do and make life easier for themselves. That's wrong. On the other hand, many of the people who are not gay want to persecute those people who are gay and not permit them to live their lives in peace and quiet. Also wrong. That's also wrong. I believe what the Pope said, that love is important. Right. Uh, if it's between two men or between two women, doesn't matter. that's fine. Uh, and just promote the idea of the gospel inclusion. Politically. Right, that sounds, that's good right there. Politically, why is the conservative evangelical movement of the Republican Party trying to exclude 10% of the U.S. population and tell them they're not permitted to vote Republican? Because of the Bible. Well, okay, but that's their interpretation of the Bible. Exactly. I think that the, I think that our policy as a country should be to encourage love and and marriage. The biggest problem we have in our society is single-parent couples yep. uh, that is spawning and causing poverty. Now, we don't want to get into proselytization. We don't want to get into... We don't want to get into moving people in the direction of changing their gender. Uh, we don't want to get into funding that. But I do believe that we want to steer very far away from exclusionary stuff. Yes. And I believe that if somebody wants to be gay, it's up to them, and the government should not discourage them or encourage them. It should be completely neutral about it. It shouldn't yes. fund gender neutral change. Neutral, that's the right word, neutral. It shouldn't fund gender change surgery, right. uh, and it shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't promote homosexuality. Right. And I think the Pope's view, which is if it's happening, bless it, let people live gospel lives within the church, even though they, even as they are gay, and politically don't excommunicate. Ten, the best estimate now is about nine percent of Americans are gay. <clears throat> that that's from some of the polling that I've done, and don't exclude them from the Republican Party. Right. Don't exclude them from Donald Trump's world. Right. And Trump didn't, and I think it's very important that his supporters don't do that. Just don't step on the don't step on anyone's toes. You'll know, leave them alone as long as they don't hurt anyone. Right. By the way, let me just say, um, I'm down in Florida. Any Italians down here that you know Christmas Eve is Christmas for Italians. You know, I'm looking for the fishes, loaves <laughs> and the fishes. Right. Seven hundred and seventy-seven fishes. Well, thank you. This was thank you. It's show. an honor, Dick Morris. I it's really an enjoyed honor. it. I love it. it. You're the best. Merry Christmas in the spirit of Christ and Merry the Jewish Judeo Christian heritage. Absolutely. God, how that has changed all of us. Dick Morris, you've been changing the world. Well, I've been changing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Change you. Change your. No, I'm not going to say it. It's Christmas.